0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 291. Today's big Bible question is, what should a Christian kill and what should a Christian embrace? Well, happy Tuesday, friends. A bit of a short episode tonight because I have the privilege of leaving early tomorrow morning to go pick up my wife at the airport after a week being away. Uh, Okay, you got me. Honest confession time. It isn't really that Early, But me and the kids, or at least the big kids, stayed up really, really late tonight on a school night, no less, to watch a movie together. And the sheriff is back in town tomorrow night, so there's going to be no more late night movies on a school night for quite some time. Well, regardless, today's readings are in 1 Kings chapter 16, Psalm 102, Ezekiel 47, and Colossians 3, which is our focus passage. In Colossians 3 as a whole, we have God's Word calling us to kill certain sinful, worldly, or fleshly parts of our nature. Well, how do we do this? Well, we kill it with the sword of God's Word. We take up the Word by reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, listening to it, and proclaiming it to each other and to ourselves. Multiple times in Scripture, we see a picture of Jesus himself with a sword coming out of his mouth, and we're told that it means that that sword is the Word of God. Which is his weapon and our weapon against the world, against our own fleshly desires and all the plots of the enemy. The word of God coming out of our mouth is a sword sharper than any human-made sword. So let's read Colossians chapter 3 together and we will talk about killing and embracing. Colossians 3 chapter 1 in the Christian Standard Bible So, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these... God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've been put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another— Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. So we see this call in Colossians to not only kill or put to death or throw off parts of ourselves, but also to put on or embrace these traits of Jesus. And this is how we set our minds on things above and how we are being renewed and remade according to the image of God. Galatians 5 is very, very similar, where it says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar— I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to kill those things with the word of God. And we also, as Galatians 5 continues in Colossians 3.2, we have to embrace these things. Embrace the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So, in verse 21 of that Galatians passage, and it's also said in this Colossians passage, we're told that people who practice these sorts of things, like idolatry, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, sexual immorality, moral impurity, etc., Paul is telling us that those things will disqualify church people from inheriting the kingdom of God. Now, ponder that for a second. Consider, as you're doing it, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. I want to give you a provocative statement. If you notice it, the Bible treats factions and dissensions and outbursts of anger and things like that in the same way as it treats sexual sins. So can cliques and factions and dissensions and outbursts of anger and division send us to hell? Yes. If sexual sins can disqualify churchgoers from inheriting the kingdom of God, and they can, then also jealousy, verbal abuse, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, hatreds, outbursts of anger, etc., These sins are just as disqualifying as sexual sin. And I want you to ask yourself, has the church treated the sins of jealousy, dissensions, factions, envy, hatreds, outbursts of anger, etc. in the same way that we've treated sexual sins? I don't think we have. We almost sort of give a pass to some of those and we really hammer others of those. But the Bible says that all of those things can and will disqualify those who practice them ongoingly, apart from Christ, from inheriting God's kingdom. So, think about that. So, what do we do? We don't merely take off the appearance of factions, dissensions, anger, malice, verbal abuse, slander, sexual immorality, etc. We put on a new appearance. So, we're called in Colossians 3 to kill certain things of our nature, and we're called to embrace certain things in Christ's nature. So, how must we appear? Now, again, I'm just uh, not talking about putting on an appearance, but talking about an inner transformation that becomes obvious to those watching from the outside. So, we're not talking about faking it. We're talking about putting on something on the inside that radiates to the outside. So, a tree rooted in Jesus produces certain fruit And a tree rooted in the flesh, or the human nature, produces certain fruits. If you're rooted in Christ, you will produce these fruits of the Spirit because you're rooted in the vine of Jesus and because his Spirit is inside of you. These are the fruit of the Spirit. We are saved by being rooted in Christ. Now, that acknowledged, we need to see that Colossians calls us to something very, very active. We need to kill certain things and put on or embrace other things. And it's a very active set of intentional commands, more active than simply abiding in Jesus and bearing fruits. Of course, it all comes from our roots, which are in Christ, but I have heard people before say that all it takes is abiding in Jesus and you will bear fruit, etc. And I actually think that Paul Paul in Colossians here, Colossians 3, is calling us to more spirit-led and spirit-empowered activity than just that. I mean, it's strong words to say kill these parts of your sinful nature and to embrace these parts of the Jesus nature. So, what must we put on? Well, there's a list here. We must put on heartfelt compassion. Very interesting Greek words there. It's actually translated better to say bowels of mercy and compassion. In other words, you're going to feel compassion for those people that are hurting from the deepest part of your guts, that's literally what it's saying. Bowels of compassion is your guts. So you put that on. So when you have a friend or a brother or sister in Christ going through it, you're not just like, oh, you poor little thing, but you feel it in your your spleen. You feel it in your kidneys and in your small intestine and stomach. I mean, that's, again, it's really what it's saying. It's your, it's your guts. You feel it there. And also, you put on the gentle kindness of God, the humility of Christ, low, which translated, low judging of other people, having a little opinion of yourself. Also, we put on gentleness. We put on patience which is endurance and long sufferingness and tolerating a lot before we get riled up. So let me ask you a question. Are you easy to rile up? Or do you get angry and upset easy? Do you fly off the handle easy? Maybe ask somebody else <laughs> their opinion on that take. The thing is, we're supposed to be patient, which means enduring in a long-suffering sort of tolerating way. A Christian must not be easy to rile up. If you are, if I am, we need to kill it. What else do we need to put on? We need to put on acceptance of each other. Again, it's a very similar word to toleration. To handle annoyance or weakness or agitation well without separating from somebody or losing our temper. Christians do not trivially separate from each other. They don't. They don't lose their temper with each other over hardly anything. The idea here is we suffer long and quietly with people, even people. Who might give you a hard time? Because we're accepting, we're tolerating, we are patient with each other. Not only that, if somebody wrongs us, we forgive each other. the, The Greek word there, I think it's charizomai, and it means to give grace to each other. And as you know about grace, grace is undeserved. And then further, we're called to forgive like the Lord forgives. Do you deserve heaven? Is it a wonder that Christ has saved you? Did you earn it? Let me answer those questions for you. Heck no, I don't deserve heaven. It is a wonder of wonders that Christ has saved me, and I didn't even earn a tiniest fraction of it and we're supposed to give that kind of grace to others. And that means we forgive them even when they haven't earned our forgiveness and they don't deserve it because that's the kind of way that God has forgiven us. Above all, we're supposed to love. Now, the Greek word there is agape. As we've talked about before, agape doesn't exactly mean God's love or unconditional love. It does mean affection, goodwill, love, benevolence, brotherly love. Let me tell you this, friends. It means liking. You can't, of course it means loving too, but it's, I've heard people say before, uh I love you, but I don't like you or something along those lines. Well, you can't like, you can't agape somebody you don't like. Agape means like and love and it's the number one mark of christians john 13 35 jesus says by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another that you like and love one another you can't just say i love somebody and don't like them love and like are the same things in the bible there's not really a differentiation between the two you can't skate on a technicality there finally the peace of the messiah must rule your heart and uh, the the verb there is like be an umpire or a referee over your thoughts and actions. Why? Because we're called to one body. Body, the peace uh, of Christ has to rule over our actions, or we will separate from people. We will fracture the body of Christ. We will give into anger and not show grace, etc. So, what what needs to happen? The peace of Christ must rule over our hearts so that we will be able to love well and extend grace well and forgive well. And we need to be thankful too. I don't want to fail to mention that. That's so important. So friends, kill those things in your nature that are harmful to people, sinful in the Lord's eyes in separating you from God, and embrace the ways of Jesus that Colossians puts in front of us. Put those on Kill the other things. That's the message of Paul to us today. Let's continue in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jehu, son of Hanani, against Basha, Because I raised you up from the dust and made you a ruler of my people Israel, but you have walked in the ways of Jeroboam, and have caused my people to sin, angering me with their sins. Take note, I will eradicate Basha and his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Anyone who belongs to Basha and dies in the city, the dogs will eat, and anyone who is his and dies in the field, the birds will eat. The rest of the events of Basha's reign, along with all his accomplishments and might, are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. Basha rested with his ancestors and was buried in Terza. His son Elah became king in his place, but through the prophet Jehu, son of Hanani, the word of the Lord also came against Basha and against his house, because of the, all the evil he had done in the Lord's sight, his actions angered the Lord and bashah's house became like the house of Jeroboam because he had struck it down. In the 26th year of Judah's king Asa, Elah, son of bashah became king over Israel and he reigned in Terzah two years. His servant Zimri, commander of half of his chariots, conspired against him while Elah was in Terzah getting drunk and the house of Arza, who was in charge of the household at Terzah. In the 27th year of Judah's king Asa, Zimri went in and struck Elah down, killing him. Then Zimri became king in his place. When he became king, as soon as he was seated on the throne, Zimri struck down the entire house of Baasha. He did not leave a single male, including his kinsmen and his friends. So Zimri destroyed the entire house of Baasha, According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken against Baasha through the prophet Jehu. This happened because of all the sins of Basha and those of his son Elah, which they committed and caused Israel to commit, angering the Lord God of Israel with their worthless idols. The rest of the events of Elah's reign, along with all his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Israel's king. In the 27th year of Judah's king Asa, Zimri became king for seven days in Terzah. Now the troops were encamped against Gibbethon of the Philistines, when those troops heard that Zimri had not only conspired, but had also struck down the king, then all Israel made Omri, the army commander, king over Israel that very day in the camp. Omri, along with all Israel, marched up from Gibbethon and besieged Terza. When Zimri saw that the city was captured, he entered the citadel of the royal palace and burned it down over himself. He died because of the sin he committed by doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and by walking in the ways of Jeroboam and the sin he caused Israel to commit. The rest of the events of Zimri's reign, along with the conspiracy that he instigated, are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. At that time, the people of Israel were divided. Half the people followed Tibni, son of Ganath to make him king, and half followed Omri. However, the people who followed Omri proved stronger than those who followed Tibni, son of Ganath, So Tibni died... And Omri became king. In the thirty-first year of Judah's king Asa, Omri became king over Israel, and he reigned twelve years. He reigned six years in Tertsa. Then he brought the hill of Samaria from Shemar from, for 150 pounds of silver, and he built up the hill. He named the city he built Samaria based on the name Shino- Shemar, the owner of the hill. Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did more evil than all who were before him. He walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, in every respect and continued in his sins that he caused Israel to commit, angering the Lord God of Israel with their worthless idols. The rest of the events of Omri's reign, along with his accomplishments and the might he exercised, are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. Omri rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria. His son Ahab became king in his place. Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Judah's king Asa. Ahab, son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. Then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were not enough, He married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and bow and worship to him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. During his reign, Hael the Bethelite built Jericho. At the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, he laid its foundation, and at the cost of Segub, his youngest, he finished its gates. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. Psalm 102, verse 1. Lord, hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come before you. Do not hide your face from me in my day of trouble. Listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call, for my days vanish like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. "'My heart is suffering, withered like grass. "'I even forget to eat my food. "'Because of the sound of my groaning, "'my flesh sticks to my bones. "'I am like an eagle owl, "'like a little owl among the ruins. "'I stay awake. "'I am like a solitary bird on a roof. "'My enemies taunt me all day long. "'They ridicule and use my name as a curse.' I eat ashes like bread and mingle my drinks with tears because of your indignation and wrath. For you have picked me up and thrown me aside. My days are like a lengthening shadow and I wither away like grass. But you, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your fame endures to all generations. You will rise up and have compassion on Zion. For it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For your servants take delight in its stones and favor its dust. Then the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. This will be written for a later generation and a people who have not yet been created will praise the Lord. He looked down from his holy heights. The Lord gazed out from heaven to earth to hear a prisoner's groaning to set free those condemned to die, so that they might declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, when peoples and kingdoms are assembled to serve the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue through all generations. Long ago you established the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years will never end. Your servant's children will dwell securely and their offspring will be established before you amen ezekiel chapter 46 verse 1 this is what the lord god says the gate of the inner court that feasts east is to be closed during the six days of work but it will be opened on the sabbath day and open on the day of the new moon the prince should enter from the outside way by the gate's portico and stand at the gate's doorpost while the priest sacrifice his burnt offerings and fellowship offerings He will bow and worship at the gate's threshold and then depart, but the gate is not to be closed until evening. The people of the land will also bow and worship before the Lord at the entrance of that gate on the Sabbaths and new moons. The burnt offering that the prince presents to the Lord on the Sabbath day is to be six unblemished lambs and an unblemished ram. The grain offering will be half a bushel with the ram and the grain offering with the lambs will be whatever he wants to give as well as a gallon of oil for every half bushel. On the day of the new moon, the burnt offering is to be a young, unblemished bull, as well as six lambs and a ram without blemish. He will provide a grain offering of a half a bushel with the bull, half a bushel with the ram, and whatever he can afford with the lambs, together with a gallon of oil for every half bushel. When the prince enters, he is to go in by way of the gate's portico and go out the same way. When the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed times, whoever enters by the way of the north gate to worship is to go out by the way of the south gate, And whoever enters by the way of the south gate is to go out by the way of the north gate. No one may return through the gate by which he entered, but is to go out by the opposite gate. When the people enter, the prince will enter with them, and when they leave, he will leave. At the festivals and appointed times, the grain offering will be half a bushel with the bull, half a bushel with the ram, and whatever he wants to give with the lambs, along with a gallon of oil for every half bushel. When the prince makes a free will offering, whether a burnt offering or a fellowship offering is a free will offering of the Lord, the gate that faces east is to be opened for him, he is to offer his burnt offering or fellowship offering just as he does on the Sabbath day, then he will go out and the gate is to be closed after he leaves. You are to leave you are to offer an unblemished year old male lamb as a daily burnt offering to the Lord. You will offer it every morning. You are also to prepare a grain offering every morning along with it, three quarts with one-third of a gallon of oil to moisten the fine flour, a grain offering to the Lord. This is a permanent statute to be observed regularly. They will offer the lamb, the grain offering, and the oil every morning as a regular burnt offering. This is what the Lord God says. If the prince gives a gift to each of his sons as their inheritance, it will belong to his sons. It will become their property by inheritance. But if he gives a gift from his inheritance to one of his servants... It will belong to that servant until the year of freedom, when it will revert to the prince. His inheritance belongs only to his sons. It is theirs. The prince must not take any of the people's inheritance, evicting them from their property. He is to provide an inheritance for his sons from his own property, so that none of my people will be displaced from his own property. Then he brought me through the entrance that was at the side of the gate into the priest's holy chambers which faced north. I saw a place there at the Western Inn and he said to me, this is the place where the priests will boil the guilt offering and the sin offering and will, where they will bake the grain offering so that they do not bring them into the outer court and transmit holiness to the people. Next, he brought me into the outer court and led me past its four corners. There was a separate court in each of its corners. In the four corners of the outer court, there were enclosed courts 70 feet long by 52 and a half feet wide. All four corner areas had the same dimensions. There was a stone wall around the inside of them, around the four of them, with ovens built at the base of the walls on all sides. And he, he said to me, these are the kitchens where those who minister at the temple will cook the people's sacrifices. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.